Welcome back to the Power of Sports Nutrition podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you Dita de Groot. Dita is the world number one wheelchair tennis player in singles and doubles. And she's a gold medalist from Tokyo and silver medalist from Rio in the doubles. Sorry, she would had gold in the singles and the doubles in Tokyo and silver in Rio. And she, in 2021, she had a super big year. She won the Golden Slam for the calendar year, which is all the big tournaments as well as the Tokyo Paralympics. So welcome to the podcast, Dita. Thank you very much. Dita, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about your background, your impairment and how you got into playing tennis? Yes. So I was born with length difference in my legs. Um, mm-hmm. therefore I, I needed a, a prosthetic leg to, to walk around and I've been doing so since my first birthday mm-hmm. and it was actually going very well. Around my seventh birthday, I started noticing how I just wanted to play sports and all of my friends, they mm-hmm. got into volleyball and uh, some of them went playing football and I just noticed that I couldn't really keep up. So I wanted to mm-hmm. choose my own sport. I got, got into wheelchair tennis and it was the first wheelchair sports that I tried, which yep. in the beginning was a little bit different um, as I wasn't used to using a wheelchair. However, mm-hmm. I loved it straight away because I was just the same like all of the other kids. Like I didn't have to think about not being as fast. Like we were all struggling with the wheelchair and, and holding the tennis racket. So mm-hmm. it was really just about being the same as all the other kids. And uh, it was so much fun that I I didn't stop. I started mm. to grow. It, it went well. And I started to sort of play some more tournaments. I got into the the national group of wheelchair tennis with all of the, all of the kids. And mm-hmm. from there, I just, uh, I started playing full time after, after school and after I graduated and, um, here we are now after so many training sessions, so much hard work and mm. a lot of titles. Um, yeah. 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 It's what a journey. And so how much of a leg length difference do you have? So I, I think it's about 25 or 20 uh, or 30 centimeters. So it's, it's quite a lot. It's not mm. a length difference that you can solve with like a higher sole on your foot. Uh, or your shoe, mm-hmm. like I, I needed mm-hmm. the prosthetic leg to walk around, and I still do. Yep. But for okay, so for you the just you it, just like, use the um, wheelchair to compete in. Yeah, mostly for that, and also for the the longer distances. So um, my hip isn't fully grown as well. So there's mm-hmm. uh, whenever I start walking, like I think 15 minutes are pretty okay, but after that, it's very tiring, and uh, some problems start to uh, to happen with the knee so I use the wheelchair for longer distances but mainly at home I try to walk everything like going to the car going to trainings those distances are are definitely there and um, um, I try to walk them as much as I can. Mm. And so can you tell us a little bit about wheelchair tennis itself the game what are some of the key differences between say able-bodied tennis and wheelchair tennis? So what I love about wheelchair tennis is that there's really only one difference. So we mm-hmm. get to bounce the ball twice, which I think is so much fun because 
because there's only one difference, we can play it with everyone. We can play with able-bodied players. We can play it with mm. friends. We can play it wheelchair against wheelchair. And that's what our competitions are. We play against other wheelchair tennis players. There's only two categories. Uh, so we have the open where all of the players are in. And then there's a quad division who those players also have an impairment in their upper body. But because of because of the fact that there's only two divisions, it makes it so much fun because there's so much competition. There's so many players mm. around the world who play it. And um, yeah, there's so much diversity. There's there's people who use their chair every day. There's people who have um, yeah. length difference like me or amputations. Um, but we all play together. And also mm. when you get home, you can play with your friends because the sport, there's only yeah one big difference. So, mm. yeah, wheelchair tennis is pretty simple in terms of, yeah, explaining with the divisions and stuff. Yeah. Okay. And so can you tell us about what your training looks like? If you give us – and obviously having a typical typical week is not an easy thing because you're travelling a lot for tournaments. But can you give us an idea if you're not having to travel for a tournament what a typical week's training might look like for you? A training week for me – is very different from week to week because yeah training like tournaments they're all throughout the year um mm-hmm. some of us they they are away on tour for 20 or 20 plus weeks a year typically for me wow. i would love to do that uh but i keep it at around 15 but still if you if you count like mm-hmm. one and a half weeks per tournament that's quite a decent amount of of year of weeks in the year that you're you're away from home. Mm. So really, I think the most time that we're at home is about four weeks, which makes like a good proper training block pretty mm. difficult sometimes. But when I do, yeah. I, I try to to have as much tennis as possible because um, mm. I think tennis is is the main thing. And I, I try to, I train from Monday to Friday. I have mm-hmm. two sessions and then another physical session which can either be in the gym or on court. So I try to uh, I try to get it as packed as possible, uh, mainly because when there isn't a block of training of four weeks, I'm usually at home for two weeks or maybe even one week. And in that week, mm. you don't play as much. So you might only play two hours a day with a physical training session. But because mm. you don't get to train as much, you try to uh, to put it all in that training block. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's pretty yeah. fun. I'm I'm almost gonna play a tournament now. So a week like this will will be mainly just getting rest in your body and um, try and train as much as you can, but also try and get your body relaxed so that next week I can go all out. Yeah, and I imagine when you're traveling and you're on the road, you're playing singles and doubles, so you have a number of games and obviously you've got warm-up and cool-down. And, and so do you find that when you're traveling, your your training level is still, you know, if effectively your games are your training? Yes, I think the, the difference with a training week and then competition is that, 
usually you're there by let's say friday the tournament starts on monday and then you play throughout the week until sunday so that's basically about nine or ten days that you're playing um, mm. but usually the week before it you don't stop training so sometimes it can happen that it's 14 days straight um, mm. where you're just playing tennis 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 you're that's the difficult thing about tennis maybe I don't know if other sports have this but if you if you have a day without training you need to that that day that you're coming back um you have to sort of get used to the ball again get used to courts it's different courts you this the the weather might be different so you have to get used to that Mm. so sometimes staying in the rhythm is easier but also it tires your body out yeah so yeah and so that is that's why Sorry, that's why optimizing your, some of your rest time when you, if you have a week at home, that's why optimizing that time to get some rest is so important. Yes, exactly. So sometimes you get home from a tournament, so you had this 14 days straight of just playing tennis, and you get home and you know you only have one week to sort of refuel and, and get back into it. So you try to continue and play, but also you try to have rest. Um, which is a very difficult balance. And I think some of us have mastered it. And I, I mean, I still struggle with it sometimes. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting one to, to see where your, yeah, where your limits are and how much you can handle. Mm. Yeah, I think it's quite a unique sport from that degree of travel and then constant change and having to adapt to that. How do you go with your nutrition in terms of supporting that training do you find that your nutrition has to adapt to the circumstances as well or is that actually something that's more consistent from one day to the next I always so what I personally do and I don't know that if it's something that other other people might like as well like it's something that is so personal but I like to keep it Mm. pretty consistent throughout all of the weeks um so i have these special things like so after a very hard match or like a long training session i do eat more protein um Mm -hmm. and then before big matches i try to like eat a good pasta like have a lot of energy so i do those things but then mainly like the Mm -hmm. The, the the sort of the main line between that I sort of try to keep it the same so there's not much fluctuation I think between the the food so my body knows exactly what it's getting and uh, yeah I've been I've been laughing at this because I told my mom recently how for I think already six years I've been eating the same amount the same bowl of oatmeal each morning um, <laughs> and I still like it. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, it's, it's funny how those things, like, I just know that my body does so well on those oatmeals. Mm. I, I put some raisins in it, uh, sometimes even some uh, some walnuts, but n- nothing more crazy than that. And I know mm-hmm. my body likes it. I know I do well on Great. it. So why change it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you like it, then, yeah, I mean, some it's interesting how some people like to, they need kind of variety and then others... I think it, it is quite interesting because you get so much variety in the country you're in and the the type of court you're playing on and the type of balls you're using that perhaps maybe you stick with a very tight routine food-wise because 
because everything else is a little bit haywire, whereas other people who have perhaps the same training all the time will want that variety in their food to kind of give a little bit of interest. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting uh, thing. Maybe maybe it could be my mind saying to me like everything's so different each week. Try and keep the keep the food the same. Mm-hmm. It's uh yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, mainly for breakfast that that it, I keep it the same. Uh, the rest of the food is is different, but also I think it's it's the one thing that I can keep the same throughout all of the tournaments. So uh, we don't always have the same lunches or the same dinners, but especially breakfast, I think it's like the most important meal of the day. And then to keep it the same, uh, maybe, yeah, it, it gives me a little bit of a, like a hold on to. Mm. And so do you like to have a bigger meal at lunchtime in between your two training sessions or do you actually prefer to have your bigger meal at night? Um, so especially here from Holland, I don't know if there's Dutchies listening, uh, but we're very much used to our breads in the in the afternoon. Um, mm-hmm. So when I when I'm home, I usually try to keep it keep it at that and have like um, yeah, just like a slice of bread with just uh, some cheese on it, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then because it's a little bit lighter, but it still fills you up. It doesn't feel like a like a pasta. I I wouldn't necessarily like to eat a pasta in the afternoon because uh, mm. I do feel like it's quite a heavy meal and because we're like we do yep. have to play tennis for two hours like it's not it's not a sprint or it's not like um, a 20 minute uh, match that we play like mm. we we play for at least one hour so I always try to eat something that fills me up and keeps me going yep. but doesn't feel like it's a heavy meal so I like to yeah. keep it at bread but that's not always uh, available in the uh, in different countries so sometimes it can be uh, a challenge mm. and do you have a, a a favorite type of food or fluid that you consume during a match like how do you fuel yourself during a match so because we i would say we play at least for one hour and a typical match is probably one and a half i like to eat bananas because mm-hmm. they keep you going for a little bit longer And it's not like mm. one high, which you get maybe off of a gel or uh, like a like a fast sugar kind of thing, because mm. it will get you on a high. But then you play a few games, and then uh, you have to get another one because otherwise you're not on that high again. So I feel like mm. keeping it on the same level is is better for me. So yeah, a banana works really well for that. And then yeah, I I drink a sports drink uh, throughout the whole. Uh, match to keep that up as well mm-hmm. and do you usually use that when you're training as well or are you do you usually use more water uh during trainings i i actually use more water so not not as much in the um, so i do eat eat bananas for longer training sessions but not i don't do anything with my drinks yep and you said that you like to have a, a higher protein intake after training so what are some of your favorite post-training sort of foods or fluids i so i personally like to keep it as much with the food or drinks that i'm getting as opposed to taking um like protein powders and stuff Mm -hmm. so i've recently been experimenting a little bit with like uh, protein yogurts and stuff i am 
So it's a, it feels a little bit more natural than just taking powders. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of a sensitive skin as well. So I feel yeah. like sometimes those powders, they contain so much other stuff than just a protein. So I always get a little bit scared that they might affect my skin even more. Um, so yeah, I, I mm-hmm. try to keep it with yogurts or uh, yeah, just plain milk. Mm-hmm. Cool. And do you, have you had any specific nutrition challenges that you've faced like do you have any issues with iron levels or with your vitamin d levels or any any other issues like with your gut or anything like that that you've had um so i think coming back to like the issues with my skin i've been struggling with uh like acne for about 10 or 15 years now already quite Mm. some time and I think for about three years now, I've been trying to keep it as much lactose free as I can. Um, mm-hmm. But mainly just as a guess, like maybe I could try it to see if it works. So, yeah, I've been I've been trying that and uh, it's not really helping. But still, I now notice a difference when I do eat lactose in my like. So, for example, just have cow milk. Um mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed there is a difference. So it's it's not as much on the skin as well as it is like my gut is now struggling with it. Uh, so it's funny how that changes where before that I never had any problems with that. But then I actually started mm. skipping it in my in my diet. And then now I am struggling with it a little bit. So it's, yeah. it's funny how that changes. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so for two years now, I've also been eating a lot of, vegetarian dishes so I, I wouldn't call mm-hmm. myself a, a vegetarian because uh, I'm not 100% but I do try to keep it in mind as much as I can so mm-hmm. I, do, I don't bring any any meats to my house which is probably about 90% of the of the food that I that I eat so yeah it's it's I'm very happy that um, it doesn't show in any of uh, of my blood results so um, yep. I'm doing something well I think Yep. Yeah, those are the things that I, I do sort of have uh, in mind. And do you find that that's hard to sustain the vegetarian side of things when you're travelling? I imagine that some countries it's more difficult to, to get a good vegetarian option than not or are, are your tournaments generally well catered for so that there are those options for you? I definitely noticed that being on tour, that's why I, I don't call myself a 100% vegetarian because it's just not possible in mm. some countries mm. or at least at some tournaments, it's not possible. Especially now I'm almost going away on tour to um, the United States and I know that there is going to be like probably the vegetarian option is going to be a bed of lettuce with some uh, tomatoes on it. <laughs> Um, and that's basically what they what they provide. It's what they know, which is not uh, like yeah. otherwise they would probably put chicken nuggets on there. Um, <laughs> and that's their version of a salad, which already yep. as a non-vegetarian is a, is a challenge. Um, <laughs> so I know that it's going to be difficult there and I'm going to have to sort of let that go because it's otherwise you're just going to end up with not really feeding yourself which is like it's not something yeah. that I want to do. So therefore, uh, on tournaments when I'm away, 
I try to keep it in mind as possible, as much as possible when there's just no other option. When I have to eat, I'm still an athlete and that goes before that. Mm. So, yeah, I do then um, sort of step away from my. my Yeah, I think that's a really important. Yeah, I think it's a really important point. I think a lot of athletes, they have more kind of rigid rules at home or rigid kind of eating patterns at home and then they struggle when they travel because they haven't got that ability to just be flexible and and adapt to whatever is being provided for them and so is that something that you've had to learn over the years or were you always like that so i i wasn't always like a very um like good eater like at home there would just be like a few things that i liked and then otherwise I just wouldn't eat it. And then mm. I've noticed how just traveling on tour made me eat so much more and so much variety and so much different things. So I think that's a very big positive. But then when you get a little bit yeah. older and when you get more professional, you notice how some things are just not very good for you. So you try to optimize your diet, I think, and that starts at home. So at home, you have those options. You can go to the grocery store. You can you can buy whatever you need, and mm. you you pick the healthiest healthiest things, and and really try to get the the best diet that you can. But then you go away again, and you're um, mm. you're not in that environment again. So you you I think you sort of learn to adapt. You learn to be flexible with it but also sometimes you just can't do anything about it like if that's what the tournament provides sometimes you're just not in an option to order anything from uber eats or or (laughs) any of those websites so you you got to do what you have in front of you so you sometimes you have to let it go yeah yeah but you've always got in mind that what's the best thing for you be, be to be able to continue to perform at your best uh, and so that's that's your driver rather than anything else yeah and um i think so for the vegetarian part i really enjoy the fact that at home i i i i try to uh, do it as much as i can and because i i don't buy it in the stores uh, it's already such a big difference, and I know that uh, it's very good for me. Also, I'm enjoying sort of figuring out a dish, like how can I do it best so that it's still good for me as an athlete, but I'm sort of avoiding the fact that uh, I need to put meat in my dish. And I think it's also a fun challenge. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. But then when you're away, you yeah, sometimes it's just not an option to, uh, to eat only a, a bed of lettuce with some tomatoes on it. Oh, not very appetizing. <laughs> no. And so I wanted to ask you, the Dutch have been a very strong in wheelchair tennis for quite a number of years now. Why do you think that is? It's a it's a funny question. We get uh, we get asked this a lot. I think we've mm-hmm. been very lucky to to have wheelchair tennis completely included into the tennis program here so we're able-bodied wheelchair tennis juniors everyone's at the same uh, venue at the national center also we're a Mm -hmm. little bit of a small country so everyone has to drive probably for an hour maybe one and a half tops uh, to get there so we can all train together and learn from each other so even when I was Mm -hmm. a junior I got to learn from 
the number one because we already had Esther Vergeer and Jessica Griffion after that. Um, mm -hmm. And even before Esther Vergeer, like there's such a, 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 a rich history of so many good players. So everyone could come to this tennis yeah. center, learn from each other. And even me as a younger generation, I got to learn from them. And then now as well, we have some junior players. They're training with us. They see how we do things. So, yeah, I hope to mm -hmm. sort of be part of that. And hopefully they can learn from us as well. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I think because it's so visible, like people see us and the younger generation sees what's needed. I think it's really easy to learn from Yeah, them. yeah. Yeah, and I think I, I yeah, I, I think there's small country and having one training center that, that really caters for for everyone. There's like Australia is such a big country, you you'd you'd it would be very difficult to have one training center that catered for everyone that was within, you know, shooting distance of, of where they lived. So yeah, it's probably yeah. you know, that size of your country as well. Super cool. Yeah, I think the, the facilities for us is very good as well. Mm. So like I'm saying, we're completely included into the to the Able Body program and also for the Paralympic Committee. Like it's completely uh, integrated into just the main sports. So also I think mm. um, it's very good to get into as well. Yeah. So do you have any recommendations for potential wheelchair tennis players doesn't have to be just in in Holland but how do you get into playing wheelchair tennis is is there a lot of clubs that you can join is it something that you see is there's particular avenues to get into playing yeah so like I said in the beginning I think wheelchair tennis is so much fun because you can really just play with anyone you don't necessarily mm. need uh, a wheelchair friend uh, to play you can just play with your friends or with your mom or your dad or anyone really and it's so much fun because you can play together and when mm. you get a little bit better you can sort of find a club and maybe find a trainer uh, but also just try and play as much as you can uh, that's how I got mm. into it I sometimes I I had a tournament and I played two matches and in between those matches I also played because my friends were playing so, yeah, I would have probably like nine hours on court sometimes, mm. be completely knackered. But also the next day I had another match. But that's just how I kept mm. so much fun and so much happiness. And I think that the fun part mm. and the just playing whenever you want to and whenever you can is the, is yeah. the key, I think. Yeah. And what about to uh, coaches? Do you, do you, are there a lot of coaches who coach wilted tennis specifically or is your primary coach coaching able-bodied athletes as well as wheelchair tennis are there how, how does that work yeah my personal coach she was actually only training able bodies players so mm -hmm. she she didn't know anything about wheelchair tennis she'd seen it but she didn't train anyone or uh, she didn't really have like a special course to do it um, mm -hmm. we're very lucky in, in the Netherlands that now wheelchair tennis is included into the tennis course program that you have to follow to become a tennis trainer. So mm -hmm. therefore all of the tennis coaches that, that have like a tennis course in Holland, they, they get to know wheelchair tennis. They get to know the basics. I personally think that it's not even 
it's not even a necessity for tennis coaches to know wheelchair tennis because the players know the wheelchair mm -hmm. bit and you know the tennis bit. So you yeah. get together, you talk about it and you learn from each other. And that's how my coach and I did mm -hmm. it. So she didn't know anything about wheelchair tennis, but I, but I did like, I, I knew the wheelchair part. I know how to move. And she just yep. incorporated her knowledge of tennis. And she said, okay, so when I give, when I feed you a ball there, you go to it that way, but you hit it that way. So how can we do this? And that's how we sort of mm -hmm. got to solutions. And I think it was a very fun process as well. So she's now training with three other wheelchair tennis players. So that's very fun mm. how that sort of shifted as well. She's, uh, she's got the hang of it now. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just been a process. And I think yeah, especially the main tennis part is the same as able-bodied tennis. Like it's uh, the same principles. So mm. um, yeah. 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 No, I think that, I, you know, that that's what I guess a lot of coaches from different sports have said. It's, it's really, we know the technical side of our sport and then we need to communicate really well with the athletes to indicate what we're trying to achieve and then have them help with the problem solving in terms of, well, how do we go about doing that with this impairment or with this, the, the mechanics of how do you actually go about doing that within a wheelchair. You know, I think that's something that is probably a little more unique to para sport is the fact that that communication with between coach and athlete or practitioner and athlete is is so key to everyone understanding and being on the same page together. Yeah, I think sometimes it can be a little bit more like problem solving. Um, and that's mm -hmm. got to do with sometimes the impairment, but also just something that um, in a wheelchair, it's not possible to step to the side and hit a ball. So you need to solve that problem. Like, how are we going to do that? And I think that quest is also, it's fun. Like my coach and I, sometimes we laugh because we're trying to find a solution and we end up just making it worse. But that's the fun process <laughs> as well. And um yeah, it's 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 good fun to sort of try and, and find the right way. Um, and as long as both of you are are into that process, then uh, it's a it's a nice thing. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And so, what about with practitioners? Like, I know you have a sports nutritionist who you work with, correct? Yeah. Yep. And so. How much have you had to teach her around what tennis is so that she can then understand how to apply her sports nutrition knowledge to that? Was something was that something she was already very familiar with or was that, again, something that you had to kind of talk through and teach her how, how things were in your world and how things operated? Yeah, so Miriam, shout out to her. She, um, yep. she got into tennis or just able-bodied tennis as well she got into the group as just a very enthusiastic dietitianist and uh do you say it like that dietitianist nutritionist? dietitian yeah nutritionist dietitian. or dietitian oh, yeah <laughs> okay um, miriam came into our group so enthusiastic like she really took it on just the same as as like the tennis coach who doesn't know a lot about wheelchair tennis she took it on as a challenge and she wanted to 
teach us as much as she can, but also just try and find ways with us. So mm-hmm. let's say I was I was just starting up being a vegetarian as well, and and she was like, okay, well, do you do you take care of this? Do you do what do you think about this? And it really was more like a conversation than uh, just setting hard rules. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's the nice things about having support uh, from that. Like, I think it's, it's a, sometimes it's just a way of finding what works for you. So yeah, Miriam does that very well. So shout out to her. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, Didia, I know that this is your only week home for a a little while, so I'm not going to take you, uh, keep you too much longer because I want to make sure that you protect that rest time and also have time for everything else in your life that you have to organize in the short time that you have at home I'm sure it's like you've got a million and one things that you've got to run around and do while you're at home so my last question for you is what's your favorite food oh favorite food um so the funny thing is like uh, when whenever I've been away for a long time I get home and usually my mom picks me up from the from the airport and we're in the car and mm-hmm. she's always like oh i brought you something so the thing she brings mm-hmm. which is like it's become sort of a ritual now but she brings like a so picture this it's a bread slice put some butter yep. on it and then some mm-hmm. chocolate sprinkles mm-hmm. fold it and then just eat it it's it's sort of like a treat but also it's it's just regular lunch, I would say, for probably about eighty percent of Dutch people. <laughs> and usually, when 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 it's lunchtime, you eat your healthy things first, and then maybe that as like a finish. Uh, but uh-huh. then this, she takes it with a sort of surprise me every every time uh, <laughs> to like a have like a nice welcome home. Ah, oh, that's that's really cute. Yeah, I know the chocolate sprinkles that you're talking about. Having uh, spent a bit of time in the Netherlands at various competitions, I remember there being little packets of these chocolate sprinkles available, particularly at breakfast time. And uh, yeah. us us non Dutch people were like, "What on earth do you have chocolate sprinkles for?" But now that explains it all. So, oh, what a wonderful treat to have when you get home. Yeah, I think it's also like the the feeling of just okay, I'm home again. I get to have this. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's the ritual as well behind it. I know my mom loves me, and she she knows how much I love being home again. So I mm. think it's it's also just a feeling that it gives me not not as much as mm. it tastes because I mean it's it's wonderful, but it's probably not the best taste in the world. I know there's much better things. Oh well, I think I think you know food is is for the soul just as much as it is for the body so yeah. um, if it serves that purpose then you, you're you, you're on a winner <laughs> <laughs> well thank you Dita for your time and your commitment to your sport it's uh, obviously paid off massive dividends and we'll look forward to seeing more great results to come and from 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 the Netherlands as well with all these youngsters coming through and learning from you as well. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I think Dita sets a great example about how important it is to have a degree of flexibility with your food intake, especially when you start travelling 
for your competition because you have to always prioritize your ability to continue to perform and produce the best output that you put all your training into. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you want to share it with your family and friends, please do so. I hope you'll join us next time when we talk to Rob Vanderwerf, who is a sports nutritionist in the Netherlands for their paracycling team.